Hey, hey, this is Chase Masterson, host of Disco Nights, inviting you to join us every Sunday as the disco party continues with our fabulous guests. Like us. Like us. Like you. And you, our audience. So we'll see you here next Sunday night. Bring your disco shoes. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. And if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, and who isn't, check out my new oral history of Battlestar Galactica with Ed Gross, So Say We All. It spans the complete history of Battlestar Galactica from the 1978 series to Ronald Moore's brilliant reinvention and even Galactica 1980. Available from Tor Books wherever books are sold. If you like movies as much as we like movies, then you'll want to listen to the 430 Movie Podcast at 430movie.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Hey, and I am really excited. We got a very special episode for you today. It is Wolf in the Fold, Remembering Deep Space Nine. Now, why is it Wolf in the Fold? Well, that's because we have a very special guest joining us today, um, a producer on uh, Deep Space Nine. He also wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation and just came off a very successful run on Elementary for CBS. Mr. Robert Hewitt-Wolf is joining us. Hey guys, welcome. And uh, once to, to be it, clear, I have not come off of a successful run of elementary. I'm still on a successful run of elementary. Okay, well, <laughs> I came off of it in that I drove here from there. <laughs> so I came off of it the today, Ubered but from, tomorrow morning he'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> and once again, we are joined by uh, one of our favorite guests, me, um, Mr. <laughs> Ashley E. Miller is is back joining us here at Inglorious Trexperts. Hello, Ashley. Why, hello, everyone. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Thank and, you. Oh, is Gene Roddenberry here, too? <laughs> Gene Roddenberry is sometimes here, but uh, he tries not to show up because you don't pay very well, Mark. <laughs> also, we're going to talk about Deep Space Nine, so yeah, he, his well, ghost will not haunt the room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe a little. Well, <laughs> well you know, the things I didn't like. I, no. I have to say, <laughs> the... Um, you know, Ira Bear, back in the days when I was writing, when I was a journalist and writing for uh, different magazines about Deep Space Nine, Ira would always say, you know, one day the show will be appreciated for, you know, what it is in the sense that, you know, there was so much writing on, on the show when it came out, so much money, so much expectations uh, that, you know, be very hard to meet in terms of ratings, in terms of sort of uh, next generations being this cultural phenomena. And, and Deep Space Nine... Um, existed alongside that but it never achieved those heights in terms of ratings in terms of uh the the you know the kind of uh pop culture phenomena he said one day however the show will be you know people will realize how how phenomenal show and it really seems that that has happened that that sort of prediction that prophesizing um you know he looks like a guy who would you know, with the with the the glasses and the the, the beard, he look you know like kung fu, King. like grasshopper. One day, Deep Space Nine will be adapted as a, considered you know one of the great science fiction shows of all time, one of the great shows of all time. Now that that's settled, I'm going to take care of this. Klingons make great warriors, but terrible doctors. Captain, just the man I wanted to see. We've been ordered to report to Starbase three seven five for reassignment. Something else, Doctor. I have news of the Seventh Fleet. 
Go on. Only 14 ships made it back to our lines. 14 out of 112. We can't keep taking these kinds of losses, sir. Not if we expect to win this. Thank you, Doctor. That will be all. I mean, is that something that you've sort of noticed in the last couple of, of, of years, as particularly post-Netflix era? I mean, I, it's a sentiment I certainly shared with Ira at the time. And, yeah, I think uh, in the last four or five years, especially since it's been streaming, I think that there's been a newfound appreciation of the show, which is very gratifying. I think it, it helps. The format helps because I think Deep Space Nine is a great show to binge. And you can binge it forever because there's a zillion episodes. But yeah. But uh, it, it lends itself well to that format, it, it, better than it lent itself to being on at some random time on some syndicated station uh, preempted by football right. or hockey or whatever else at a moment's notice. So, or summer. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, we, we were airing in that syndication market, which was even as we were coming on, just starting to fade uh, and so, you know, it was sometimes even a little hard to find us by the end, I think. Yeah. Um, Unless you were Jeopardy or, or uh, Wheel of Fortune. Right. The first run syndicated market had hit its its pinnacle, and now it was sort of uh, starting to abate. Correct. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. Well, tell us, you know, um, have you – do you ever – you know, you go back and watch the show. I mean, you're a busy guy. I mean, you're, you're working on a big network show, and you know, you got a lot of things going on. Do you ever like to say – you know, go back and watch an episode and say, oh, my God, you know, we really did great work back then. And uh, I remember this fondly. Or is it something that's sort of your distant past that you don't really think about much? I, I look at I see clips every once in a while, you know, on YouTube or, or whatever. Uh, I did go back and watch the uh, finale for the documentary sure. because we got the writer's room back together for the documentary, mm. which hopefully will be out soon. Uh, and we did a little... Uh, faux story break of uh, season eight, episode one. So to prepare for that, I watched uh, the final episode of season seven again. But I haven't gone back and watched the whole thing, you know. Right. Uh, and I want to. It's it's really about finding the time. You don't want to because that means you're like on hiatus and you have enough time to sit at home and <laughs> watch TV. Exactly. So. It means my third book, <laughs> my third novel is finished and uh, I don't have any assignments. Yeah. It means uh, you're not working. It means I'm not working at all. Um, but I, I do want to do it. I mean, it's just it's just really finding the time uh, in in this era of maximum television. You know, yeah, maybe right. when I'm old and gray, yeah. uh, which is like Tuesday, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, how is the the the, the uh, episode going to be? Uh, let's let's uh, let, let's let's pretend for a second that that uh, season eight is being made and that uh, <laughs> uh, the episode is is debuting this fall on or January on uh, in first run syndication. How did it turn out? <laughs> I think it turned out great. Look, I mean, uh, sitting down in a room with Ira and Ron and Renee and Hans and breaking story is just a pleasure. And it just reminded me, you know, modestly, I would say we were pretty darn good at it. And so we had a great time. We spent about eight hours. We broke uh, part one of a two-part opening. Um, lots of fun character stuff. Lots of, you know, uh, getting the band back together. And uh, we... we we, we broke it as if we were going to shoot it. You know, mm-hmm. we broke it as if we're shooting it now, which means everyone is the age they are now. And 
and and there's some returning you know many returning favorites in our in our in our palace of the mind version of the show <laughs> uh so we had a lot of fun doing it it was uh i think you know the the fans can see there's clips of it throughout the documentary and then i think there's going to be some supplemental material which may be like an entire I don't think it'll be all eight hours. I suspect right. it'll be edited down. Yeah. See my saggy jeans for like uh, two all hours. All the snack eating will be yeah, gone. Yeah, the snack eating. <laughs> there may have been some whiskey drinking and paper cups that we'll 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 have cut out. That kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very instructional for an audience that's interested in seeing how a room works. They can see what snacks you're eating. You know, they can... yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, it, if you're interested in such things and they make this available, it, I think it, it's a great. It would be great to watch because we really did break it down just like we used to. We started off brainstorming ideas. People came with a couple pitches. We homed, you know, homed in on a story we thought was going to work, uh, and then we just went from there. You did know? you have a writer's assistant taking notes, or no? I, I wrote up on the board. No. Oh, wasn't man. that your job? Uh, <sighs> it was. I was the guy who did it when the PA or the intern wasn't available. <laughs> so I, you know, I was sort of the backup. When Phil dude. Kim was off doing something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, Phil, yeah. No, it was more of a, usually it was the PA or the intern okay. uh, that wrote on the board on Deep Space Nine. So the first thing they had to learn was good handwriting. But well, I, was uh, say, I was that's the key. I was the one who filled in when they weren't available usually. So I, I just filled in in this case. I just want to know how much uh, thought you guys put into um, Odo's new bucket. <laughs> that's a props problem that's not a, that's not a writer's problem an interesting question coming from the concept designer <laughs> exactly concept designer John Eves draws right. a bucket that's, that's how you that's Bring how much thought bucket. we would have yeah. yeah that's how much thought we would have put into designing a bucket Yeah, we is. like that one thanks John that's awesome yeah. <laughs> too focused on what the song would be hey that's great guys I'm glad you like it <laughs> now, you guys also worked together on Andromeda yes uh, we, did. Did. Uh, we did another Gene Roddenberry great <laughs> The, the Gene, well, Gene Roddenberry's yeah. Andromeda. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there, look, there were there were legitimately aspects of some of Gene's work in Andromeda. Yeah, yeah. certainly there was a name. There was a character. There was name. the character. There were some character names. There were some character concepts. There were some themes. There were more than one character name. So the bad—I mean, the bad yeah, guys true. in 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 Genesis Two or whatever. Well, Dylan Hunt also was Dylan yeah. Hunt. That yeah. name Harper. Uh, the Tyrians were the bad guys, and they're very much like the Nietzscheans. So that was all. And Tyr, obviously, was our poster child for the Nietzscheans. Right. So there were – that's about it. Oh, that, Sentient Starship, which he'd written like a two-page uh, proposal for. Mm. Yeah. And it, this really was the end of the first-run syndication era because – Yeah, the, for sure. Yeah, that was the that, death knell of it. Like we were we – were, we were uh, – you know, we we always talked about it like we were trying to launch those those uh, those refugee ships off of Hoth as the as the as the bombardment was raining down on us as syndication was dying all around us. Every episode that we finished was like one more right. evacuate evac- ship full of evacuees that we managed to sneak out <laughs> under the gunfire. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just a market that completely died. I mean, it's sort of weirdly been now replaced by streaming. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a similar model in some it's ways. A lot, a lot bigger budgets. <laughs> so much bigger. Oh yeah. my god! No, I mean, we look, could make we, we could make lunches that cost more than. Yeah, we could have made a hundred episodes of Andromeda for what it costs to make a season of the Romanoffs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> well, maybe not a hundred, maybe fifty, but still. 
like probably had a lot more, more people watching eight. it too. <laughs> or ten or whatever the heck it was. Although, How, what was your budget on Andromeda? What were you spending? Do you remember? Uh one point one million dollars an episode, of which three hundred thousand dollars ish was above the line. Mm. This Kevin Sorbo. Most of that was going to Kevin. Because he had just come off of Hercules, so yeah. he was a yep. big name then. So there was Kevin, there was the Roddenberry Estate. There were a lot of other like little bits and pieces. That's not counting like the other actors' salaries. And so we had a massive amount of that of that one point one million dollars, almost all of it was fixed costs. Yeah. So we didn't really have any money uh in the episodic budget. I think the episodic budget the discretionary budget for an episode of Andromeda was like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it was nothing. And yeah. you shot in Toronto or Vancouver? Vancouver. Yeah. The only thing that saved us was the Canadian dollars, like sixty-three cents at the time. Ah, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and that's where you guys met, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we actually we met on the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dating. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Uh, arguing. Grindr. Arguing no. with trolls. <laughs> that didn't exist then. On the internet uh, uh, about Star Trek: Deep Space. No. Um, my my erstwhile uh, writing partner Zach Stens had written an article about the uh, the the way that um, Deep Space Nine fans and Babylon Five fans uh, presented many of the features that you would find present in um, in sort of Middle Eastern uh, religious uh, ah. clashes. And uh, he had interviewed Robert for this article. He tried to interview uh, J. Michael Straczynski, and uh, Straczynski declined. The interview and the article was actually quite interesting. It was very Zach good. Zach was a great journalist. He, he really did some was. Great articles when he was uh, writing for uh, absolutely, and, and that stuff. was a great article. And he even he copped to the fact that he had asked, you know, for this this interview mm-hmm. and that, that uh, Straczynski had declined it. Um, and of course, the internet doesn't care. I mean, <laughs> you think the outrage mobs now are crazy? Imagine like the outrage mobs, but like you know, erudite. But they were so much smaller. The outrage mobs yes. back then were like five guys. There were like five dudes. Were very <laughs> literally angry. five. I mean, like it was really like five, six guys on a on a BBSE. Or I a, think it might still but they be had those more same than five guys. Forty <laughs> characters. It might well be. But there was a there was a huge fight on the internet, and uh, I sort of stepped in the middle of it, and that's how I met Robert and, and Zach. But honestly, I feel like um, Deep Space Nine was my introduction to to Robert. Uh, because when he foolishly invited us to go and uh, and pitch um, a, a lot on on Andromeda, a lot of uh, of how we pitched and the stories we chose and how we chose to structure them and what what we did were really based on uh, understanding and and loving Deep Space Nine on a deep level, mm. um, and particularly breaking down how those stories tended to work, um, and you know and and. Sorry, it was a, it was a little manipulative, but but figuring out like how Robert thought about story, kind of based on you know how he wrote those episodes, and obviously um, you know our 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 interests in what we were writing were were true and and they were inherent to us, and it was none of that was bullshit. But we we learned how to speak Robert <laughs> uh, just by just by rewatching that show and and really it's an thinking obscure language. It really is by very many people anymore. <laughs> and like yet it's Esperanto. awesome. Exactly. But no, it was great because it wasn't just like the beginning of like a really great collaboration. I mean, Robert was you know he was basically like my my first and my only. Uh, film studies professor, you know, in terms of just like the practicalities of like doing all this shit. Um, but obviously, you know, we're okay with each other. Um, you know, you're godfather of my nine-year-old. This is true. Uh, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons what on with Saturday. The twins? You had enough of him being no, godfather. Fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? 
I wouldn't. Their souls can would burn. Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hell with them. That's just no. That's no. We tried. We tried to take him into the church, and like there was this massive electrical discharge. <laughs> Yet you never even thought to call him Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> we did, but no. I mean, it's it's uh, it was just one of those things, right? I think um, you know we bonded over stories, certainly, um, and kind of what a lot of what I learned and kind of my own sort of um, instincts about story come from Deep Space Nine. So Deep Space Nine means quite a lot to me, just as a as a viewer, as a writer, um, as a as a as a Star Trek fan, as a consumer of it. Um, so it was just it was always sort of an interesting exercise. I feel like uh, I said in another podcast that I feel like Michael Pillar is like. My great grandfather. Uh, it's your in, grandfather, really? No, it's only one generation. Well, it's well, Ira, right? So Michael, yeah. then I had two like, grandpas. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I had two okay. dads. I had two yeah. dads. I had two yeah, dads. You have, two, you have many. You have two grandpas. Yeah, then Grandpa was sort of my dad for a little it's like while. A, it's but. like a coaching tree. A little right. Television writing is a little bit like a coaching tree in the NFL. There's certain. Uh, there are certain head writers who trained many other successful head writers and Ira and Michael Pill are definitely uh, in that category and then because of that the people that they train trained other people and so you've got uh, a fairly large coaching tree essentially coming out of the Star Trek shows that includes you know dozens of people who either learn directly from uh, Michael and Ira and Jerry Taylor or they learn from the people who learn from them and so uh, there's still I, – I think our influence – their influences through us in the writers' rooms all over Hollywood are still being felt. You know, it's funny that Robert mentions that because, you know, in a previous episode, we were talking, you know, Great Birds of the Galaxy and we were giving Michael the well-deserved credit for how many writers came out of that writers' room who have created their own shows or worked on shows and been super successful. And, I, you know, I know that we, we sort of struggled with sort of Rick's legacy a little bit. But on the director level, if you look at the, the, the people that came out of Star Trek, you know, and this is a credit to Rick Berman, um, you know, Frakes, you know, who went on to have a very successful feature and TV career. Um, you know, Roxanne Biggs Dawson has been working nonstop since Voyager, you know, you know, LeVar, LeVar I mean, Robbie yeah. McNeil now right. uh, does a ton of episodic uh, directing. So that was something that came out of Star Trek that we, we don't often think about. That was a direct, you know, when he gave Frakes the opportunity to direct on that show. And then there were a lot of other people who had the opportunity who haven't necessarily broken out as directors, whether it be Avery or David Livingston. Well, Avery was a terrific director. He just didn't really, wasn't really interested in doing more of it, I think, mm. when he was done with Deep Space Nine. I mean... In a way, like he was already returning to academia and doing stage plays, and and so I think that that just he he was excellent at it. I just don't think it was his calling. Yeah, you know, yeah. if he had wanted to make a career out of it, I I think he certainly could have. You made have to be career. passionate. It's not a day job. Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy it's a crazy job. I mean, like like Lucy's uh, for us on Elementary is doing it now, and she's great at it, and she's doing other shows, and that's something that mm. that like Jonathan Frakes and Lavar did even you know back then but like Avery never really did and yeah, I think it was the same thing with Patrick he did one or two episodes yeah, he directed and he enjoyed f- it but yeah, he never Patrick directed the first episode of television I ever wrote so um, A Fistful of Datas A Fistful of Datas that's correct which is so funny because you were the only Western fan among anybody who because Brandon didn't know anything about Westerns oh. Patrick didn't know anything about Westerns Robert Wolf 101 if you want to get it past him pitch it as the Western <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is like I'm not even a huge I'm not particularly a huge Western fan like if I'm going to sit down and watch something it's probably not going to be a Western 
But I appreciate Westerns for their structural mm-hmm. uh, approach, and I, I, I learned a tremendous amount from watching Westerns. So I wouldn't even call myself a fan of right. the Western, but I was certainly a student of the Western. And so understanding the sort of functionality of, of a Western and how it works and why it works, character, th- theme, plot, it, that, that to me is an important tool to have for a writer. Um, and you can still you see the influence of it on a million. Th- I mean, Breaking Bad has kind of got a lot of those those mm-hmm. those influences. The tropes, yeah. So certainly, like, there's a lot there to to study, you know. And yeah, I don't, Brandon. I mean, Brandon. I, I'm not going to speak for Brandon. I I think he he certainly understood westerns. You know, I don't think I don't know if he was a huge fan. No, Patrick, he, I don't he's know. definitely said on many occasions that he was never a western fan. He had a sort of do a binge, you know, and yeah. before it was easy to binge his stuff to like watch Rio Bravo and watch a bunch yeah. of these things because he didn't know westerns. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, uh, it turned out great. So I was a freelancer then. So that you know, in the days when you when when you were a freelancer back in those days, you basically you wrote the script based on the outline that you broken together with the with the staff, and then you you handed them the script and you walked away. You know. Yeah. Badasses don't look back at the explosions um, <laughs> because then it was their job to really. Do whatever they felt needed to be done to it, um, and that's what that's what Brandon did. And then you know, I think Patrick did a great job. So and it it's funny really well. because that episode feels really fresh, despite the fact that you know it's a lot of the cliches of Trek at that point—the holodeck malfunction, sure. uh, Brent playing multiple characters—and it's probably the best of all those because the holodeck malfunction story, you know, it's great. It gives you the opportunity to play on this great canvas of the western, and and then you know go and do some great location work, and uh, and then I think Brent is really wonderful in that in a way that he's not like in something like Masks, right? You know, it's a really fun playing the multiple characters. I mean, in my mind, when I originally pitched it, it was a tribute to Spectre of the Gun. Mm-hmm. So we speak Spectre of the Gun here. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I've always times. had. A, I've always had a fond fondness for that mm-hmm. episode, and I just thought it was it would be a fun thing to do a modernized I, version of that, and the and the holodeck just lends itself to that. I mean, obviously, omnipotent aliens are the other way to go. Right. Uh, you can have Q put you in Robin Hood if you want, but I just thought it would be fun to do as a, a Western. And I also wanted to uh, sort of incorporate some of the elements of ultimately, like, there's some cyberpunk elements in there. Right. Which, you know, I'd like to pride myself on introducing a little bit of <laughs> back in the day when cyberpunk was like a shiny new toy right. that not a pe- lot of people had played with yet. Pre Matrix. So- yeah. Can we talk a little bit about no. so the whole conversation about um, westerns and structure? Because what you're what you're really what you're really kind of laying out for people that I don't know that um, is intuitively obvious unless you know unless they know you is um, you are a very analytical person. Like <laughs> you are so excellent at breaking things down and kind of figuring out how things work. And I know that on occasion this has gotten you in trouble because you also like to tell everyone what you've figured out. So let's talk a little bit about, and we'll sort of start with your garage uh, and the map of Bajor. Sure. Uh, and, you know, the the story, um, possibly apocryphal, maybe you can kind of correct the record, on, um, on your memo on the Dominion and on... Uh, Cardassia and oh, all the, of that. The, the second time I almost got fired. Yes, <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, well, uh, that was I would I would characterize that as a misunderstanding more than anything else. 
So what had happened with the Dominion was over the summer between season one and two, um, and when I say summer, I mean we were still working and we hadn't taken our hiatus yet, and we were mostly done with season one. Were you a tiny hiatuses, 26 episodes Yeah, seasons. we had like maybe two, three weeks. So we were talking about how to distinguish the Gamma Quadrant from everything else, how to make it special, unique, and interesting. And so we came up with the idea of the Dominion as a group. This was Ira and me and Pete uh, mostly um, coming up with all this stuff and then pitching it to Michael as we as we went along. And at one point, we had sort of spun out the whole thing to Michael. He had uh, he really liked it. Um, he asked me to write a memo about what we were going to do. And so I wrote a memo to Michael Piller from Robert Wolf. Here's what we've been discussing with the Dominion. Boom. And it's like a two, three-page memo, I think, and it lays out the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar and the founders, why they are the way they are, some historical backing, you know, some some stuff we'd lifted from history, how they all function together, sent it off to him, and he loved it. He thought it was great. Now, again, this wasn't me coming up with ideas. This was us. This is me expressing ideas we'd all come up with. But then all he did was he just wrote C.C. Rick, and sent that memo to Rick. And Rick misinterpreted what had happened. Okay. He thought that essentially I, the, the lowest ranking writer on the staff, had come up with a pitch for what we should do for the rest of the series. Right. And that <laughs> and, you were trying to do an end run. And that I was trying to do some kind of end run around maybe Ira or Pete or both <laughs> or whatever. Or And I certainly hadn't – and he didn't understand that I'd had permission – not only – he didn't understand that it was part of a team effort and that I'd been expressly re- told to do this. And so he was quite angry, hmm. uh, I think, in defense of Ira hmm. and and uh, in sort of the defense of the chain of command. But it was all explained to him very quickly and it all got ironed out, you know, quickly. And Michael told him and it was fine. So so it was like literally I think I heard about the dra- what what little drama there was. You know, I think it was probably like a two-minute angry misunderstanding that was quickly ironed out. I think mythologically it's become, become a little more. <laughs> Robert Wolf, yeah. L'Enfant Terrible. Yeah, L'Enfant Terrible, Robert Wolf came up with the Dominion and almost got fired for it. That's not what in happened. A t- in a coup <laughs> to take over the show. Yeah, right. None of that is true. Robert Wolf. It's a good story, but it's not true. So, and it's, much, it it's much sexier than the first time I was almost fired. When was the first time? At the end of season one. Okay. Michael was just hadn't seen enough, he thought, for me yet. You know, to show my worthiness to stay, and uh, I, I argued that I had shown that, especially with uh, in the hands of the prophets. And, For sure. And um, Michael was persuaded that that was the case, and that was pretty much the end of that. Well, there you go. <laughs> Again, not very dramatic. No. I mean, for me, it was horrible. It was like two horrible days, but. But uh, we'll have a much more interesting headline on the clickbait uh, yeah, yeah, post yeah. that we have. Uh, <laughs> All the time, Robert. I took a meeting with the X Files very quickly, uh, <laughs> uh, and then and then it all got ironed out, and I came back. Yeah, it's funny because you know after emissary, there's really not a great episode until duet and in the hands of the prophets. Yeah. Well, no progress. I, progress is, is oh, progress is good. Progress, is, progress good. is good. I like. I think Dax is a pretty good episode yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, I think there are definitely five or six pretty good episodes in that first season. But yeah, it, I mean, it's a it's an uneven. You know, we were finding our footing in that first season. Um, you know, 
certainly it's difficult to defend the passenger, you know? Uh, My defense of my work on the passenger is that there's a lot of ands and ampersands on that on that title card. (laughs) Um, And and the worst thing that the the worst misstep in the passenger wasn't in the script. (laughs) So, Sid. Who's that voice? What were you doing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, what was the episode with like the freaking game and the? Oh God, move along home. Move along home. Yeah, move along home. You know, it's it's hilarious because <laughs> with the with the resurgence of the show uh, and people watching them again, some of people for the very first time, it's it's. Not unusual to see people speak rather highly of Move Along Home <laughs> because they just think it's a delightful little lark. You know, uh-huh. they they just see the humor in it and they enjoy it for what it was because their expectations aren't um, for it to be important television. You know, their expectations aren't for it to measure up to Next Generation at its full flight. Now, don't forget, there were some pretty terrible episodes of Next Generation in the beginning, too, while they were finding their right. feet. And at the end. And, uh, <laughs> but but we we were being compared to, like, the full Legend. force right. yeah. of the most legendary seasons sure. of Next Generation. And so Move Along Home comes along, which is a lighter, fun, little goofball episode, admittedly. And our actors are playing hopscotch with an alien girl. And yeah, they didn't. People did not like that. Uh, but in retrospect, there are people who really like that episode. They just think it's goofy and fun and kind of delightful. Uh, I don't know whether I would agree with them if I watched it again. But I remember watching it at the time, thinking we were we were uh, we were uh, expletive deleted. Uh, we were in trouble. Well. I- I mean, I haven't watched it in 25 no, it, years, it, so yeah, maybe yeah. if I watched it now, I maybe like it. I love it. I remember yeah. the actor. I remember his face. It just haunts me. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, all I remember is this, the you know, yeah, all the moraine, all the yeah. hand um, flailing and hopping But in along. fairness to season one, um, first of all, a shorter season. Secondly, well, somewhat shorter. Uh, like 18 or something? Yeah, something like that. Because but, it premiered in January. Right. Yeah. But like compared to the first season hours. or the second season of That's Next too short a season. It, like it, yeah. It, uh, it, oh, it nice. pretty much kicked the crap out of them. There was like, and there's nothing in those early seasons of Next Gen that kind of compares to something like Duet. But um, but that said, I think... Drumhead. Well, no, you mean the early? Oh, the early season. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like in the first two, and like, and like, yeah. They never got close. But duet is like is honestly one of the top many. Yeah, that was an early success. That was an early success for sure. I, I, I think that we we were finding ourselves like you do with any show. We were figuring out what our actors were good or best at. You know, we had a really great cast, but we were really figuring out what kind of stories we could tell with them and in this setting. Um, and yeah, there, there are clearly some episodes that are misconceived. There are some episodes that probably the conception of them isn't so bad, but the execution of them for whatever reason isn't, is not what it should have been. Well, the um, pilot was so expensive that by the time you get into we were, the episodes, yeah, you were, we you were know. a little bit, we were, we were having to be a little more contained. But I, I don't even think that was real. I wouldn't blame the budgets. We we had plenty of money. I think it was really about understanding what kind of stories we could tell best and then telling them. I mean, look, we had missteps forever. Like we we I don't think there was a season that didn't have at least one stinker. 
Right. That's um, a 26 episode season. You're always, but that's always part of part that. of that was like, yeah, understanding, understand that we were we were on that hamster wheel from the word go. There were only four of us in season one, five because we eventually added somebody, uh, but a lot of freelance scripts being written by people who had not written the show before either. Or hadn't even seen were, the show. Who hadn't right. even first seen the show. Either. Hadn't seen the actors. Had no idea yeah. what they were doing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was a tough pro- It was a tough process. Uh, it's A first-year show is always tricky. Um, and, I, you know, I think we did enough good work. There are definitely watchable episodes in oh, there. There are some great episodes in some there. Really I, mean, tr- I mean, Duet is arguably one of the top episodes of the show, and not many shows have that. Uh, and and the Emissary is probably one of the best pilots of the Star Trek yep, shows. For and sure. I, I'm pretty happy with um, In the Hands of the Prophets. Yes, it's great. That's finale. a great finale. And it kicks off that, that troika of episodes in yeah. season two really well, too. Yeah. So, like, you yeah, know, we were figuring it out. We figured it out pretty fast, I think. You know, there are less stinkers for sure in season two, and I think it— Season two holds together. Season two yeah, is great. Right. It you is. know, pretty great. damn well. Um, so. I, I think for me, the episode where I thought, like, okay, now I understand this show. Like, I get it. We've talked about it, but um, but progress. Yeah, progress for sure. Like, when I saw progress and the ending of that show, yeah. I said, oh, I 100% get Deep Space Nine. Yep. I 100% understand, understand what makes it work. Yep. And in a lot of ways, like you know, I talked about kind of going back and breaking down like like what worked and like and what didn't to kind of get inside your head. Um, and I realize that's all you know a, a, a group effort. But but that episode for me kind of became um, you know it, it was it was it was like a lodestone you know for yeah. like figuring well, out. Well, it was a template. That episode you could argue was a template with what I was trying to do with Andromeda. Right. And I think what the scripts largely successfully did when I was there and then ultimately we couldn't always produce you know or we couldn't always you know the vision of what was on the page didn't always get it onto the stage on that show but I think that the the template was progress like that was sort of a perfect kind of example of the kind of thing that I wanted to do Uh, a really interesting character study of one of our leads interacting with a problem that was very difficult to solve in which that character finally does solve the problem in a way that makes perfect sense, but is very difficult emotionally. Yes, you know that that, that the final decision is is emotionally heartrending, but ultimately probably for the greater good. And but it costs a little piece of the character's soul to do was it. There David Brian Keith. Yeah, yes, yeah, it was great. And he was wonderful. He was great. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of his last last performances. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of? Uh, seed of the uh, idea of bringing in the Defiant to the show. And, uh, and, yeah. and, and I can tell you exactly why What the changes Defiant. that brought. Yeah, so why the Defiant? Because the runabout sets sucked. Mm. They were too small. They, we could not get more than two people. They could not move in the cockpits. The back area was never very satisfying. So it was very difficult. We wanted to have adventures in the Gamma Quadrant. Mm. And from a practical production point of view, the, the the literal vehicle we had to convey our characters into the Gamma Quadrant was was not good. Wasn't able to do it. It yeah. was not able to do it. We needed a ship, not a boat, you right. know? And so that was the initial impulse. And from there, the discussion was, well, what kind of ship do we want to have that would make Deep Space Nine uh, its own – that would fit – Deep Space Nine in a unique way. That would make you mobile, but not just like the other shows. Right. We wanted, if we were going to have a ship, we wanted the ship to express character 
right uh the character of our crew and of our of our show and the defiant we thought really look the name <laughs> right yeah yeah defiant you know that's deep space 9 defiance is one of the one of the signature emotional through lines of the show right. defiance in the face of great odds defiance in the face of you know uh uh public disapproval mm-hmm. you know defiance in the face of an unfair and an unfriendly universe you know uh, that was a lot of the the subtext of the show right. um and it was very personally connected i mean on a character level to cisco so very it, personally connected it felt like an extension of him yeah i mean you know uh uh you know there's internet memes that call the defiant i'm gonna approximate it you know benjamin cisco's badass right hand you right. know mm-hmm. um he built this ship to destroy his foes. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's he why personally. he built it. He personally designed this ship to smote. <laughs> to smite? Smite. To, to smite. smite. Yes. He wanted it to smite the Borg. And they shall be smoten. And, then, <laughs> and then he used it to smote the heck out of things. Uh, but, but more than that, you know, it was, it was an uncomfortable ship. It was a impractical ship. Hmm. It was a ship that was an, as much of a misfit toy hmm. as every character on the station and as the station itself was a misfit toy. Hmm. Um, it was not ever intended to be a beautiful ship. You know, it was always intended to look a little wrong vis-a-vis the rest of the Federation ships, a little uglier, a little more brutal. Uh, it, it, the, the sets were supposed to look a little uncomfortable. Yes, we wanted our characters to be able to stand and move around and talk to each other and have scenes where they could walk and talk and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But we wanted them to have to duck so they didn't mm. bump their heads into bulkheads. You know, we wanted the quarters to be uncomfortable looking. So when Garrick is sentenced to being sent back to the quarters and confined to them, he can say that they're too claustrophobic, you know. Um, Foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> When did you realize the show was not a star vehicle? Because, you know, so many of the other Star Treks, you look at the first show, it's, it's, it's the Troika of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and as Shatner often dismissively called them the Seven Dwarves, right? But it was a star vehicle. You know, certainly the, the second um, uh, next generation really, as we talked about in previous episodes, becomes Picard, Data, war, the Picard Data Wharf show, you know? It's a star vehicle in a sense. Deep Space Nine... You know, you think is going to originally be driven. You know, emissary is all about you know uh, Cisco and 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 this tragedy he's gone through. But then you start to realize this is definitely an ensemble show. The life forms who created the wormhole have agreed to allow safe passage for all ships traveling to the Gamma Quadrant. With the arrival of the Enterprise, the Cardassians have left the area. I suspect that the sight of their warship being towed by a Federation runabout took the heart out of their fight. We're not done with the Cardassians yet. Not with the strategic importance of that wormhole. Well, you've put Bajor on the map, Commander. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Captain, regarding our conversation about someone to replace me... Yes, I'm sorry I haven't had time yet to communicate that to Command. I would prefer you ignore it, sir. Sure that I can. Are you certain that's what you want? Because we cannot afford to have a commanding officer who is. I'm certain, sir.
hatırlatmışsın Sezgar. And it's such a rich tapestry, and it's such a deep bench of characters that you can play with, uh, and it just keeps expanding for the life of the show. You know, how did that sort of evolve? I think it wasn't a real, it, it wasn't a vacuum that made it not a star vehicle. It was an abundance of riches that made it yeah. not a star vehicle. In other words, we had so many great characters and so many terrific actors that we wanted to give them all lots of fun things to do and maximize the potential of all those characters interacting with each other. So that meant that there was no one character that was going to dominate the show in the same way that, you know, Picard dominated the next generation. I'm not not saying that there weren't other great actors on that show, because there certainly were, but Patrick Stewart just has this tremendous presence that, that sort of, Demands scenes, yeah, you know, and Avery has that too. But we had other characters who had the same sort of presence. I mean, Armin Shimmerman demands scenes, and mm-hmm. and you know, Cork could have been a throwaway character, you know. Uh, once Michael showed up, he demanded scenes, you know. Um, the nod demands scenes. Renee Obert, you know. So we just had you go down the list. They're all really good, and even at, Terry, who started out the neophyte, and would admit that got to be really good and the yeah. character was super interesting and she's and once we figured out how to write for her and she got more comfortable she turned out to be terrific too Sid Sid amazing like terrific you know calm like oh my god spectacular actors so so you've got all these terrific actors really interesting characters that Michael created and so that was just the gravity of it you know, there, there were, Iris said once to one of the other actors, it's in the documentary, or he said, yeah, I think he said in the documentary, like, uh, one of the act, one of the guests was thinking we didn't like him. Uh, this is a spoiler for the documentary. And Iris said, we keep writing for you. That's how you know we like you. <laughs> you know, that's how you know you're doing a good job on a, on a show like this is you keep getting more scenes. You know, you show up for one episode playing a tailor and then you get 30 something of them. Spoiler alert. I think I know. <laughs> I think he said that in the book, too, in 50 Year Mission. Yeah. I think he says the same thing. But it's yeah. yeah, it's true. That should be an indication. But it just goes to show how insecure actors are. And it's, you know, well, it's, it's, for a, it's a tough job it's a to tough be job. secure in. Very you much know, so. It's just a real, especially when you're you're a guest, when you're not on the call sheet every day, when you're not in the main credits. That's a that's a tough place to be emotionally. Yeah, recurring and I think, is a, you know, a hard gig, and you could go at any time. Yeah, and some some look at the end of the day, they all everyone did great. That's why they were all there till the end, and we had twenty nine characters or whatever the heck that wow, had multiple it's, it's episodes. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, Deep Space Nine really evolves without a template because the other Star Trek shows all sort of start from the same place and they evolve. Next Generation It's the original with, you know, it's spun, but it's the original. You know, Voyager is very much Next Generation spun. But Deep Space Nine is its own beast, you know. And, and again, I think that's why you have a first season where it's trying to find itself and then it sort of starts to lock in. It's an amazing accomplishment. Thanks. Uh, we're, we're really proud of it. <laughs> you know, none of the other... Shows I think have um, you know Enterprise, Discovery. I mean, even as those things kind of became a little more serialized or a lot serialized in the case of Discovery, I don't think that serialization was the key to what made Deep Space Nine work. It's like, I just don't feel 
those same energies present in those shows. Like, right. But I think that's good. It's like it. Um, I, I I like that that Deep Space Nine kind of exists and is its own expression of the Star Trek universe, particularly the the Next Generation era of the of the universe. And it makes honestly, it made um, it just it it made the Next Generation when we saw them again. It made it feel bigger. So in First Contact, when the Defiant, tough, it's a tough little ship, little. You know, when when the Defiant shows up, even though she gets destroyed in First Contact, it's like oh cool. It's like the universe just felt bigger. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think Deep Space Nine weirdly by being stationary created more mythology yes. than you do when you move because we had to continue playing with the larger mythology of the universe and we couldn't run and go spend an hour with someone know, else's with someone story else's little story yeah. and and with the guest star of the week and their little culture that we're never going to see again we were grappling with the Romulans the Cardassians the Bajorans the Dominion the Breen, you know, which were a throwaway joke right. in Next Generation and became a big part of Deep Space Nine by the end. The Ferengi, who, you know, are complicated and can be a lot of fun, but can also, you know, show us some of our, our foibles, and that's what we use them for. I mean, it was Star Trek's Game of Thrones. I mean, you, yeah. it was Empire way, building, yeah. world building. Especially by the, way, by the time we built, once we built that engine and really wound it up and got it going, all the politics, the changing relationships, the betrayals, the Cardassians and the Klingons keep changing sides. It's, you know, we got, and we got, and the other thing I think that makes our show kind of interesting versus the others is that even as we got into that serialization, we never gave up on theme. I assume Captain Sisko removed or destroyed everything of value? Not everything. What is that? A message from Sisko. I don't understand. <laughs> He's letting me know He'll be back. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we we really felt like the show had to still be about something, and we had to say something that was interesting and surprising. We, which is we, what's so great about your episode, Past Tense, you know, which really deals thanks. with something meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we wanted to do that. We wanted to embrace that part of the sort of Roddenberry storytelling matrix um, we weren't going to boldly go, but we were going to explore, you know, the strange deeply. new worlds and do that deeply and 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 tell the kind of metaphorical stories that he he embraced. Um, that was important to us, and I think that that unique mix of sort of light serialization, great character arcs, and really heartfelt thematic explorations with again surprising. Resolutions is is sort of what made the show work. And, and Deep Space Nine took a you know character a race that was intriguing in Next Generation, but it deepens it so much, which is the Cardassians. I mean, they own the Cardassians. I mean, it's just phenomenal what what uh, what Deep Space Nine does with them as a race, and just obviously Mark Alamo is so since you know terrific. tour de force performance Casey, and terrific. Casey Biggs, yeah. oh my God. and really great, terrific. Like we had three great actors to play our main Cardassians, uh, and even some of the guys who came and went, Dooley, Paul Dooley and oh, stuff yeah. like yeah, that. You know. We had a Twice. lot of great people make those characters come to life and we really got to, it was this, this thing, you're sitting on a space station that they built, you get to explore who they are. 
their backstory. You know, the they're grappling with fascism and and what that all means. As we are today. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you a question uh, because you're a big uh, original Star Trek fan, Star Trek fan. Um, who's Rafe Needleman? <laughs> okay, I'm just I want to know how deep your how Not deep the well deep. of knowledge went. Not that deep. <laughs> Author of the original Star Trek trivia book. Oh, there you also go. Also, apparently an organian, according to his byline. Sure. Um, I have. I, nope. <laughs> Okay, well, now we've resolved, okay, you're a fan, but you're not that deep a fan. <laughs> Correct. So uh, let's talk about favorite episodes. What, what When you look back, it doesn't have to be episodes you wrote, but uh, you know, what are some of your favorite Star Trek episodes when you look back and sort of, of, of think Deep Space Nine? Of, yeah, let's talk about Deep Space Nine. We've talked about the other stuff, Ad Nauseam, I think. Sure, screw those shows. <laughs> um, well, certainly Duet. Um, I have a fondness for In the Hands of the Prophets because it's when I think I finally figured out what the hell I was doing, mm-hmm. you know? And I learned a lot from that episode and worked very close with Michael on it. And Dealing with great. religious fundamentalism, which is something we hadn't really seen in the Star Trek mythos because yeah. Gene was so against dealing with spirituality or any yeah. of that. It's really, I, like, I, that, I truly like that. Yeah, that, that opening trilogy of season two is great. I'm very proud of The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um I think that, yeah, that uh, I'm just going to start skipping yeah. around, but I mean, like Visitor it mm-hmm. gets me every oh time God, I yeah. see it. Yeah. You know, I think that a show that can do um, Far Beyond the Stars mm-hmm. and do Trials and Tribulations, right. yes. yep. you know, yeah. they're both time travel episodes. It's so elastic. <laughs> the premise you is know? so great that you could do, you could go from a Trials and Tribulations or Our Man Bashir. Yeah, or Our Man Bashir yeah. or like, Little Green Men, mm-hmm. you know. Like, those are really fun shows. They're really fun to watch. Um, bada bing, bada boom is mm-hmm. a lot of fun. You know, those to be able to do those, but but to do shows that have that kind of... The, I don't know if there's another Star Trek episode that has the emotional impact of Far Beyond the Stars. I don't know. That one hits me like a freaking freight train when I watch it, you know, or The Visitor. Right. Mm-hmm. I love Far Beyond mm-hmm. the Stars. I, I give The Visitor the edge. Me too. Slightly. Sl- Me too. But yeah. it's arguable. By a micron. <laughs> By a micron. It's, it's By arguable, a yeah. you know, and it I is. think- But I it's think... amazing that both of those episodes exist in one show. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So those are all great. Um, you know, I, I have a fondness even for when we just did, like, some of the weird little standalones that we did. like uh, uh, In the cards. In the cards, mm. yeah. Or uh, what's the serial killer one? Uh one Ron did. Uh, wrongs darker than death or, or night. night. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, or or the Tarek Nor one. You know the right. the, mm-hmm. the the which is like a weird little horror movie that we mm. did. You know what was the one where um we're calling as Empoch Nor Empoch Nor sorry but yeah the yeah. Uh, the uh, chief is uh, he's in prison for like. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wrote that one. Yes, you uh, did. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm blanking because it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. What the heck is that one called? Now I'm blanking, too. The one where he has 20 years of prison memories implanted in his head and he has PTSD. That's a yeah. really good suicidal. episode. That's an yeah, excellent I mean, episode. Rafe Needleman would know. Yeah, Rafe Needleman. Because would know. he is the trivia master. <laughs> <Yeah>. Organian. <laughs> Organian trivia master. Um, why am I blanking on that? See, you, I wouldn't. I know. You know, if you hadn't blanked on it, I, I wouldn't have blanked on it because I would have known it. No, I, I can't remember either. Bring, now the effort of trying to bring it up is gone. We're now it's the inglorious Trek sort of know know things about Star Trek. <laughs> I, the expert has been reduced the by occasional one step in rank. You've been reduced one step in rank. There's, there's like I, I, I used to know every episode title from all Me three too. shows, yeah. but now, of course. 
there's six so shows much, yeah. and we're old i'm yeah there's just no, it's, it's the same for us head. i mean i could yeah. pro- i could tell you any it was funny i was I, I think i mentioned to you that my nine-year-old son's really gotten into the original star trek and you know we turned on an episode he said i'm not gonna tell you what i'm gonna watch um i'm just gonna put it on and he put it on and and literally in about a micron i said you know, I told him what the episode was. He's like, how do you know? I mean, yeah. you, you were you looking? I said, no, I just know whatever. But it's like, it was on for one second. Yeah. I used hard to time, by the way. Hard time. <laughs> oh, hard time. yeah. Hard time. Yeah. Hard time. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That just I was, yeah. kicked my ass. That's Again, another, another, you know, it's an O'Brien must suffer episode. There's, yeah. Well, there's, he was great with that. He was great with that. Look, I think like the first, like a, you know, some of the crossover episodes are really, really fun. Blood Oath is fun as an action. We did some really good to the death. We did also right. like some oh really God. great to the death was good little yeah. action adventure episodes yeah. that some of them added to the greater mythology. Some of them didn't. We tried to do we we tried to mix the genre up from episode to episode. You know, we tried to do all right. Let's do a comedy. Let's do a love story. Let's do an action movie. Let's do a heist. Let's do a mystery. Mm-hmm. Let's do a film noir. You now, know, correct me if I'm wrong, but to, to the death was the first time like we were on the mission with the Jem Hadar right. and we got it was the first time we got the uh, the Vorta handing out the white and yeah. the Jem Hadar kind of doing the oath. Yeah. And I just remember the the delivery. Was it Jeff Combs who was like the, the Vorta? Jeff Combs was the Vorta yeah. in that. And he just but he wasn't um, uh, Wayun. Yeah, he was. He was Wayun. Oh, Wayun number one. Yeah. And he, this, the way Wayun, he just not Way Dose or Way Trace or Way Quattro. Way Uno. Yeah, Way Uno. Yeah, Way Uno Ocho. Actually, that would be eight. But Way Uno. He just tosses off that oath. Like, he does not give a shit about the oath, but the Jem Hadar do, and it's brilliant. That's how he wrote it. And Jeff, like, so delivered. It was, he. He's he was terrific. And. Lawrence Williams, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Third was there. Yeah, and you guys yeah, yeah. brought back just yeah. randomly, like, uh, next generation stuff. with like It was like the Iconian yeah. gateway and all yeah, that other. That's, it was, that was yeah. the MacGuffin. We, we loved to do that. Like, we loved to tie our show back to the history, especially of the original series. So if we were going to do something random, you know, if the ambassador from some country is going to be assassinated, like there's going to be a terrorist bomb that kills a bunch of, Screw it. They'll be Tholians. Right. You right. know? Where is where is uh, uh, Cassie from? Cestus. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Because why not? Because we love, we love the original series, and we like to think that we're continuing to carry that torch. And so, yeah, we would throw stuff like that in all the time. And I think that's another reason why we respond so well to the show, because it embraces canon. It doesn't run from it. It realizes, instead of all these people complaining, oh, there's so many years of Star Trek. You know, how can you keep track? How can you hope to reconcile? Said it embraced all that and, and it- gave the universe a denseness and a mythology, you know, that, that was richer for it. And it wasn't shackled by it. Right. Yeah. There was never a moment where I felt you guys couldn't move because you had to be slavishly devoted to something from – Sure. For now, sure. Now, to be fair, at the time, we only had to be responsible to about, like, what, 200 and something episodes of television? Right. And not 600? Right. You know? So the shackles have gotten harder to dance in, right. I suspect. Um, but we enjoyed we enjoyed those references and we didn't feel restricted by them in any way. You know, the only time we ever had to like really tap dance was was triples, right? It was trials and tribulations, sure. just because of the 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 Klingon stuff. And Ron came up with that brilliant solution, even though like we have we had like 
we have it. We, I know what happened, you know. <laughs> um, and we had it in the script, and we talked about it, and we pitched it all out. We worked it all out, and then Ron was like, we do not speak of it. And it was like, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that it. Which actually worked for the explanation we had. So, And it was brilliant, and it's best Look, and it works for that episode, too, which is light and fun yeah. and a confection. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we that was the one time when we were like, we're now going to put the problem was that we had put Koloth and Koth, uh, Kor and uh, Koth? Kang. Kang. Kang, Koloth, Koloth and Kor. In the, in the contemporary and makeup. And we put now. them in the contemporary makeup, yeah. which clearly they did not have yeah. uh, back in the day. And now, so we were already basically going like, nope, all Klingons now look like this. So that's what these guys now look like this. Like, why? Well, we do not speak of it. but But we really had to face that head on obviously for tribulations because we were interacting with old school Klingons and we had Worf <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, you know right. and it wasn't about like the TV wasn't good enough to show what the Klingons really look like it was <laughs> they, this is how they looked in those days and now they don't look like that anymore you know right. what happened so are you still watching or interested? I mean, look, you're we're working on a network show which is doing a, a zillion shows, uh, so I can't imagine you have much time to watch TV. But are you still following the latest with Star Trek? Do you have any interest in in, in, in the current iterations of Star Trek, or is it sort of just you don't have the time less I, than the- I mean, the truth is I don't mostly have the time. I did manage to watch some discoveries, uh, and there's some great stuff about it. I mean, it definitely has its merits. Um I just don't have the time to like deep dive. I haven't finished the first season yet, um, but there were some episodes I really enjoyed. There was a um, a mud episode that was terrific, mm-hmm. um, and they they do some really smart and fun things. I just you know it's just hard for me to, to yeah. really dig yeah. into. Look, them. when you know, you're in the middle like, of a season, it's impossible to do and, much. Yeah, well we we did twenty we do twenty four a year on elementary, or we did until last year. So you know. We we're at a similar pace to what we used to do, Deep Space Nine. One at, of the few, <laughs> one yeah. Of the one few of the shows few. still on television yeah, that can keep exactly. at that pace. Yeah. So, was there any episode that was like one that got away? Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. But he was out sin. Yeah, that one totally got away from us. Um, the script wasn't working. Uh, we were in the last day or two of prep. And it was like a Friday, and I came into Ira, and I said, like, this is not working. And he's like, well, we're going to try to make this work, you know? We don't have to – I'm like, let's spend the weekend and just do something completely different, you know? We've got these actors. We've got this location. And he and he was like, we, uh, you know, we're not doing that. It's not going to happen. Like, we, this train is way too far down the tracks. Mm-hmm. We can't we can't turn it now. Um, and so we we were hoping, okay, well, there's a lot of fun things in this episode. Hopefully the fun of it will carry it. Um, and then, like, you know, we went to Risa and we're shooting it in Malibu and it was 62 degrees. Oh, my God. And cloudy and foggy and cold and miserable down there. No one could wear swimsuits. We couldn't do any of the exteriors we wanted to do. You know, it just was – it was snake bit, Yeah, you know? And there's a few like that. You know, that was definitely one where we sort of like that was the one time where we knew it was going off the rails and we couldn't do anything about it yeah, because I mean, 26 episodes a year, man, just you can't like save them all. Enterprise had Precious yeah. Cargo, which was a similar situation. I mean, the original was the alternative factor, you know, and Next Generation had, you know, like Night Terrors. And so they all have their, you know, their, their yeah. episodes where you, you can't turn the ship around in time and. 
you know, you know it's happened. Man of the People was probably another one that they would say. You Shades know, of Grey because of the Shades of Grey, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, so we definitely were – that one was just – that episode was snake bit. Like there, there's still stuff I will point to in that episode that's actually really fun and cool. And like, you know, Vanessa Williams is beautiful and charming and wonderful in that episode. And Worf has that – crazy ass speech about killing someone while he was playing soccer yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. uh we, so there's some fun stuff in there uh it's it's not like indefensibly a bad it's not a terrible episode but it's just one of those ones where we just knew it was not what we wanted it to be. And, and to me i've always said that falls under guilty pleasure as opposed to just an unmitigated disaster yeah where there I mean, are you know there's probably like you know there's people who would say that meridian is you know another example of that fascination sure yeah you know move yep. along home obviously is the poster child from passenger <laughs> <laughs> you know so certainly there were some but that was just the one time we were like oh god this is this is this is going off the rails can we save it can we save it nope 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 not going to happen. <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm so glad that you would join us. I think it's so important to, you know, in, in these past episodes, I, we've, we've given a couple of shout outs to Deep Space Nine, but to be able to do sort of a deeper dive into it. So it's great to have Robert here, you know, and I hope you'll, you'll join us again in the future. Sure. And, uh, you know, thank you to you, obviously, Ashley. Great to have you back you. again. And just a reminder, you can follow Inglorious Trexperts on Twitter and Instagram at Inglorious Trek, as well as on Facebook, where you can continue the conversation by suggesting show topics and give us feedback on every episode, especially this one. This is a good one. So make sure uh, you uh, vote five stars. In addition, if you like what you hear, oh, I just said that. <laughs> well, then you log in as somebody else Maybe and give us five ten stars. stars. Right. Uh, Watch Elementary and buy my books. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. where can they follow you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, writergeekrhw uh, on Twitter. Um, well, that's a lot easier to remember than Master Zero. Uh, the titles of my books. I, I, I'm writing a trilogy of uh, YA fantasies, and the first one is called The Goblin Crown. The second one is now out. It's called The Fallen Star. And the third one I am working on even as we speak. Well, not right now at this moment, but <laughs> when I leave here. Uh, it's called The Final Drop and probably be out in a year or two. See, that's a good parenthetical. <laughs> Author, writer, producer. That's good. Yeah. You can hear new episodes of Inglorious Trexperts every Sunday. Now Sunday, on Sundays, Sunday, every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, don't miss our all-new podcast, Disco Nights, with host Chase Masterson, Davo Girl, reformed Davo Girl from Deep Space Nine, <laughs> and her, uh, she'll be joined by special guests every week with all-new episodes premiering every Thursday night, which is the new night that Discovery will be premiering on CBS All Access. And finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here, including Natalie at the Electric uh, Studios, for making the show possible. We couldn't do it without them. Woo! Yay! And uh, so until next week, on behalf of Robert, Ashley, Myself and Darren Doctorman keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. Shh.
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.